Lance. I'm married to Rachel on staff here, so I'm Rachel's husband, and uh, really glad to be here. Uh, it's a real privilege uh, just to be asked to, to join in tonight and just share a few things with you. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump in, but I'm going to open a word of prayer because, man, I definitely need it, all right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for tonight. It's a great evening just to be able to come together as a church family, uh, to focus in on you, who you are, who we are because of who you are. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit, that you would work in and through me as well as everyone here um, to speak and to listen to what needs to be said, what needs to resonate, and to take home with us. So I just commit this time to you. Trust you are going to do good things with it, and just thank you in advance. And all this is to your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Rachel and I have been here, um, Church of Charlotte, New City Church, for 25 years. And we have four kids. Three are married, but the kids grew up in this ministry through children and middle school and high school. And uh, this is really a special place for us. And, you know, a church like this is not just something that we go to. It's just part of who we are. It's just part of a lifestyle. And to be part of a church family like that. So, again, I just appreciate the teaching team and just allowing me to, to be up here now. Um, let's go ahead and jump in. Is it, does this thing turn off? Uh, yes, on the side. All right, there we go. All right. Uh, right now, we're just transitioning from the book of Acts. And as you look at this chart of the book of Acts, and to cover all of, the, all of Paul's journey, there's like 60, defi- 60 de- destinations that he went to uh, throughout his itinerary. It'd be pretty hard just to go through that in tonight's scope and for me to regurgitate, you know, some of those travels. So we're just really going to highlight a few themes. And really the basic goal is to bring these, this apostle, these destinations, these people, uh, what was done there. But what does it mean for you and I? And how do we use that here and now in our life, today, tomorrow, next weekend? And so I just want to really more practically bring some of this book to a, a close and more practical level. Um, the book, a lot of stuff is in the book that you can uh, gather and just about some of the more of the details. But just to, uh, Chuck Swindoll said this, when we study the journeys of Paul in the book of Acts, We're not just reading a travelogue of a man. We're observing the redemptive plan of God unfolding as he promised. Through the ministry of Saul of Tarsus, God's mission to reclaim his creation from the death grip of evil would move to its next stage. The plan of this mission was outlined in the Lord's promise at his ascension when he said, You will receive the power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you shall be my witnesses. Very powerful statement. And so, as a summary, the big idea just for tonight that we will kind of repeat a lot of times, what does it really mean that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to build relationships with those who need to hear the good news of Jesus? So we're going to start with your story. We talk a lot about the big story. We're going, to, we're going to begin here with your story. And in a few minutes, I'm going to let you share a few thoughts about when and where did you get saved in a, just a really brief way. Um, for me, my story is I remember when I was six years old, and I remember listening to my Sunday school superintendent as he was talking to us first through third grade. And I remember him talking about this salvation through Jesus. And he told us what needed to happen. And I remember that night in my bed with tears rolling down my face, I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. And from then on, I was saved. But I want you to share just really briefly, um, really briefly, just around your table, when and where, and if there was a person that helped you through that process. So go ahead and spend a few minutes doing that, briefly. All right, let's go ahead and uh, bring everybody back. I hope everyone got a chance to share. No doubt, just looking around, people were very engaged in, in listening to each other's stories. It's really special to, just to hear how God brought about. I'm curious about how many people in here can remember a specific person kind of be involved in the process. Okay? It doesn't always happen. There's a lot of different ways that God does it, but there's a lot of hands it's that someone was somehow engaged in a certain way to help make that happen. And, and obviously, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and his role and how active the Holy Spirit is and, and engaged. Um, did you ever wonder about your story, even some of the stories you started to hear? How many moving pieces had to be orchestrated to kind of make that thing happen? And sometimes we kind of gloss over that um, but to think of how many people, situations, what had to lead up to that point in your life, a lot of moving pieces. And it just shows how, how active and engaged the Holy Spirit is all the time. The one thing I love about the book of Acts that is just so fascinating that when you read this book, how many times the author Luke just keeps laced through the storyline the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, over and over and over again. And when you look at just some of them that you start to see, it reminds me of why, why would he write it that way? It would have been just still accurate to uh, in, the, in the first couple of chapters where the Holy Spirit 
fell upon them and they were filled with the Spirit and they led them out, we could have assumed that through all the journeys that the Holy Spirit was already there, they were already filled, and of course the Holy Spirit was going to do what the Holy Spirit does. So why end up lacing this all the way through the storyline again and again and again and again and again? And Luke, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, most of these were the Holy Spirit or the Spirit-led. Yeah. And so what it, what it has helped me to be encouraged is about what does that mean for me about my day-to-day ongoing journey of life? And how do I need to be more aware about how, how conscious am I to refer to the Holy Spirit moment to moment, day by day as things are happening? The reason I bring this up is that throughout a couple of decades of ministries and, and thousands of hours of talking with people as a therapist and how frustrated people are, you start to hear similar themes about how the struggle. And a lot of times, a lot of the struggle is self-effort through self-means, through self-resources, trying to grind out this Christian life in the way it's supposed to look like and sound like. And I think that Jesus said, my, 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 lo- my yoke is light. As long as we end up utilizing the power that we already have becomes a very different way of living life then. That a lot of times when people talk about obey and do this and your life needs to look like this, I agree it does. But the how we get there can be a very different way when we really are conscious of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. Because if that's the role of the Holy Spirit, to empower, to equip, to enable, that's his work, what he accomplishes, and he gets the result for that, then our job is really more to surrender, to yield, to submit, and position ourselves in a very humble way for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit's going to do. To me, that's more of the Christian life as I see it. How well, how often do we end up surrendering? And then you get to see the power of the Holy Spirit really work. And so it's just a different kind of a mindset sometimes that we end up reading about or hearing about in ministry. And I get very sensitive when I hear certain sermons or teaching or or even in books where they say all of those expectations but they kind of skip over the how. And what does it really mean to submit, to yield? And it just puts on more of a heavy weight for most people of trying to grind this out to make it look good. And so this is what I gather when I read this. I get an encouragement that these guys didn't go anywhere. They didn't, go, they didn't do anything without kind of trucking base with the Holy Spirit. They were very aware, and they were very conscious, and it's very evident that this collaborative effort was going on, just like God designed it. So it's just a good reminder as we read through the book of Acts, what does that mean for us? 
and about the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day life as life goes on to be aware of his presence. All right, let's move on. Again, we're talking about what is it like for us to be these witnesses and to share in the gospel to the people who need it. In your tables, I want you to kind of think about whether it applies to you or not, but maybe you are aware of other people. What's it like really when it comes to evangelism, to defending the faith, to sharing the gospel with someone? What are some of the even the apprehensions, even the fears, if you need to do that? So in your table, see if you can just popcorn some answers about what are some of that, those fears and apprehensions about those kinds of things, all right? What comes to mind? All right, very, very good. Reel it back in, folks. Now, I, I'm curious. Um, can any of the tables just kind of, someone in the table blurt out some themes that you've heard as you were sharing? What are some of the maybe apprehensions and fears about some of these things? Like what? Rejection. Rejection, okay. Inadequate. Being inadequate. Yeah. Any other themes? Ill-equipped. Ill-equipped. Think that way. Yep. Yeah. Doing it wrong. Doing it wrong. Yep. Yeah. I mean, these are very real things that just show up. Um, and so, a lot of times I call it evangelism anxiety. This stuff is very common, very typical. And a lot of times it, it focuses on our performance and our results. And it's things that sometimes, you know, some people struggle more or less in a lot of different areas of life, and they just kind of bring it into this realm as well. And it is a very much of a struggle, and it causes the anxiety, the, the pressure, the stress. I remember as a high school, and my youth pastor like, okay, it's your turn. We're going to the mall, and it's your turn to go, you know, start this conversation with this stranger. What? You know? Or as a young man, I remember showing up and I went to this new church and all the men showed up for Tuesday night men's soul winning. Okay? And they took all the visitor cards the Sunday before and two by two you ended up knocking on their door and trying to get your foot in the door so you can have a conversation and hopefully the conversation led to, you know, that's the four spiritual laws or something. (gasps) You know, that's real stuff. And again, you already mentioned it. What if? What if I don't do the presentation right? What if I get it wrong? And I remember being stuck in that kind of mindset, like, but they're supposed to pray this sinner's prayer. And if they don't quite get there, then what did I do wrong? And then if they don't do this, then did they miss out on some opportunity here? That's a lot of pressure. But something that really helped me along the way is finally like thinking through who really owns the burden of one's soul. It seems obvious, but it's a good reminder to really work through that. 
that if God created that soul, is he really going to put that soul into my hands? I don't think so. He will never let go of that. Our job is just to participate in different steps along the way, but he's never going to let that go. He holds the burden of responsibility. And again, this is kind of an obvious passage. And from there, they sailed to Antioch. And where they had been commanded, commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. If you've been around churches enough that do a lot of missions, you send missionaries out, and what they do, they come back and they share the report. And hopefully they share the report, this is what God did. This is what the Holy Spirit did. And the glory goes to him. And how many times you see that the Lord added to their number? Over and over and over, you, you see this phrase. So it helps us to remind us that we don't hold the destiny of somebody's soul, whether or not we get the presentation right. He just wants us to show up who we are in a relationship and just go on the journey with them. We're going to go on. Is there a, the microphone? I'm going to need some help. Acts 17 is a great passage just to show what, you know, Paul and what he did and how he did it. And part of it is he just engaged in these conversations with people. Sometimes they're dialogues, sometimes they're sermons. But along the way, he had to engage in all these different people, every single city that he went to. He constantly did that day after day, week after week, year after year. And so... Can somebody read? Who's got the mic? Uh, somebody? Go ahead. Paul went in and was his custom, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. All right. So over and over again, this word to reason shows up. To, to reason, to convince, to persuade, to have these dialogues. And it basically is to defend. Now, we're not going to go into this, obviously, tonight in the scope, but this whole realm of, of, of apologetics and this discipline of how do we defend the faith, and which causes a whole lot of anxiety about going back to having all the answers to all the questions. We're going to get there in a minute. All right. Who can read this one? Yeah, go ahead. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. All right. Thank you. 
this verse continues on, but this is just to show kind of this, the different people that he kind of bumps into. He, he, he bumps into these philosophers, and obviously they're going to be skeptics, and they're kind of like scoffing and huffing, puffing, and just you know, rolling their eyes going, what has this babbler got to say? But he continues on. He doesn't flinch. He just keeps staring. But what he did, though, in that sermon later on is that he really understood who they were. And he understand the different philosophies that these people were, um, you know, bound by in their own thinking. One group believed that truth was from man. And the other group believed that truth was from beyond man, from a deity beyond them. But when you think about it, that's two different starting places. And some of the basic questions of our existence is, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where do I go after this life? And to have no God, you're going to answer those questions one way. If you believe that there's a deity beyond you, you're going to answer those questions in a much different way. And so sometimes you have to recognize where they're at. And I show this only because in this day and age, we're, we're part of the most biblical, illiterate generation of all times. It's a sad thing. And so just to go and show up and go, yeah, this thing about Jesus, and he died on this thing called a cross, and his blood sacrifice forgave your sins, they may look at you kind of funny. They may maybe heard of it. And so to keep backing up, you need to find out, what do they believe about God? Do they believe a God? What kind of a God? One God or many God? Finite? Infinite? What is this, you know, how active is this God? Or hands off? And eventually you have to go through this whole thing. And there's theism. That's the God of the Bible that we have in front of us. But there's a lot. Of, every worldview is, is represented here. Um, now, obviously, I didn't come up with this. Um, there's a lot more smarter people, and one of them is, is Rachel's dad, Norman Geisler. That's his chart and from his books. But I want to go on just to think about, he just entered in these conversations depending on who these people were. Who can read the next part? And they took him and brought him to the, how do you say that? That's, <laughs> yeah, that word. Uh, saying, <laughs> may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. A little different group now from that first philosophers, right? Calling him a babbler. Engaged, maybe some asking some questions. Kind of curious about this thing. But it is strange stuff that they've never heard about. And I think we live in a day and age where we might be bumping into people that what we believe can be very strange to them. And so to enter into conversation where they're at, we need to be very tuned in to what that is. Can someone read the next one? 
Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. What's cool about this is that we will hear you again. What does that imply, that they're willing to hear again? Any thoughts about that? What does that kind of imply? I need to think about it. What? I need to think about it. Think about it and come back? I'm open. Yeah. So obviously they felt comfortable. Maybe there's a relationship going on where it was okay to wrestle with, ask questions. And Paul, you know, he just enters in and where they're at. The goal is really to have these conversations, ongoing conversations, and never knowing where they go because some men, some joined them and believed. For our third part, in your tables, I want you to kind of think, what are some of the common questions that maybe you have heard? Um, friends, family, people at work. What are some of those things about God, Jesus, the Bible, salvation, heaven and hell? What are some of those typical things that, questions that come up? So spend a few minutes in your group. All right, that's some great conversations around the table. Um, again, I, I just want to ask some, uh, some of you people around the table just to kind of throw out, what are some typical common questions that you kind of hearing in your groups? Throw, them, throw the questions out. Any common? Why, why do uh, bad things happen, or why does God let bad things happen if he's Man, so good? That's a that's a big one. Any other questions that you, you hear a lot about? We talked about um, <clears throat> a couple of different things. We talked about a lot of the, like, just the arguments about, well, you know, science doesn't, you know, prove that or, you know. I don't see that in the historical record or, you know, those sort of things and, you know, how you can, you can do research and you can have a lot of conversations about those things. Um, but those are often questions that get, that get raised. Yeah. Good ones. Science. Yeah. I think when people bring up science, though, you try having a science, do science when you're having a date with a girlfriend or something or your wife, you can't prove that in a science. <laughs> a relationship. Exactly. Right. You have a relationship. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Any other questions that kind of come up? Yeah. The only yeah, Jesus is the only way. Okay. Really? <laughs> Pretty exclusive, right? Other questions? Outset, you may you may feel that you don't belong in this club. You can't you can't join because you've just lived the last twenty five years of life. You're like doing this and this and this, you know. Like there's a, there's no there's way. no way to get in. See, it, but that's what they'll think. Mm -hmm. And with that, that you have to 
get your act together first yeah. before you could yeah. do this. Yeah. These are certain, these are the mindsets. These are the questions and the concerns. And we mentioned earlier about part of that anxiety is, wow, all these different things that could come up in conversations. How do you end up preparing yourself to do that? Um, that's not easy to do it, to have all the answers to all the questions. And I used to collect the books, you know, earlier in life. And like, man, it's got overwhelming. I, I can't do this. My brain doesn't work that way. And so I'm glad, again, that there are a lot smarter people than me that end up putting it all together in resources, you know. And this is a trilogy. I get these books because I get them for free, my father-in-law. But when skeptics ask and when critics ask and when cultists ask, it's a whole encyclopedia of questions with logical, rational answers as a starting place. And so, you know, I get to the point where if I get to talk to someone and there's a question I don't know, I can now simply say without all that anxiety, I can just say the freedom going, that's a great question. I don't have a sufficient answer for you right now, but I'm more willing to like pull some stuff together so that we can end up discovering the answer for that question. You see my wording I just made there? The we and discovery? That's more of a the relationship, not just covering the facts. <laughs> I wish. But it does show. This is, a, this is a chart of one guy who ended up kind of describing the spectrum of where people are in their spiritual journey. And he came up with these names and some of the descriptions basically of their heart. And you can see the progression from being the skeptic all the way to the fisherman. We read a, those passages just earlier in, in, in Acts 17 where he started to talk to those philosophers who called him a babbler, pretty much, you know, a skeptic, kind of closed off. I've already got it settled. And then later on, it, there seems to be this other group that were willing to, like, have conversations about these strange things that we want to learn about. And then later on, it talked about how some of them wanted to like come back and continue the conversation, and some of them actually joined and then believed. And so you end up having evangelism and so-called discipleship, and there's definitely this conversion point, no doubt, but I see more of we're all just on this continuum of learning, growing, changing, maturing in a process over time. And so whether we bump into a person that's here or bump into a person here, it's really more about bumping into a person and joining, going on the ride, on the journey. And to be that encouragement or to be that mentor or to be that whatever and to helping them answer some of these doubts and questions and concerns that really do exist. Because if it only takes like the faith of a mustard seed to get to this point, does that mean everything got settled? Even in our own life as a believer, all those questions and maybe some doubts and maybe some things we're not too sure about? I think we're all on somewhere on a journey trying to figure out and still answering questions and still learning to have 
this greater faith and a greater trust in our Lord. And so it's a process over time. And just some thoughts about, I think what he did as a modeling for what we can do right now is people really do need the space and the safety just to ask questions. Always building trust for the next encounter. To have that mindset. And I've, I've, I've bumped into enough people that they're more interested in convincing you of these facts and so we can move on. And it gets very manipulative. And not really being sensitive to where this person is on their journey and their growth. And so it's always about being a mind, having a mindset that I'm always trying to build this relationship. And sometimes it could be a very long-term relationship that's needed. And so it's really more about let, let them ask questions. Let them doubt. Let them even object. And don't flinch. Just be part of the process of journeying with them. A lot of times I encourage sometimes... I have opportunities to talk to parents where all of a sudden their teenager comes home and says, I'm an atheist. And of course, the parents are like, <gasps> you know, they're freaked out. And I try to encourage, okay, be freaked out on the inside, but don't advertise that with your, with your kid. Easier said than done. I get it. But to go on the journey to figure out, is he really an atheist? Even though he spit out those words, what does that really mean? What are his concerns? What, what, what happened for him to get to this place where he's ready to chuck the church and Christianity and God all together? There may be a lot more going on in the storyline than he decides he's just an atheist and there is no God. So part of this is really about learning to go on the journey wherever that person is and always protecting the relationship. Because if you want influence, the only way to have influence is to have conversations. The only, have the, way, the only way to have ongoing conversations if there's a trust that they're willing to come back to have the conversations. And the only way to have the trust is that you somehow to, got to engage in a real relationship. It's always come back to this relationship. That if I have the relationship and over time I build the trust, the trust then allows the conversations and the more conversations, the more influence I can have. So it always goes back. What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life and bumping you into people that seems maybe mundane, but you don't know the person in Walmart, work, the next door neighbor, how any of those are being just orchestrated for the next time that person bumps into you again. And a lot of times they're going to remember what was that encounter just previous? Was that inviting and welcoming? Was it okay if... I don't believe the way you do, but it's okay. Very welcoming for next and next and next. So let them ask. Here's another aspect. Um, somebody got the mic. Can you read this for us? You can read it. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So the real question is, how does one go through that kind of torture and then able to praise God through song and prayer? So I know what they did, but I want to know, like, what are some of those other ingredients that make that even possible? I can't do that, but I'm intrigued, and I want more of whatever they've got. Can anyone put some words like, what is it that allowed them to do that? Any thoughts about that? There's no wrong one. What? The Holy Spirit again. To empower, to go beyond what a normal man may endure. Other thoughts? Yeah. Sometimes you got to go so far down, there ain't nowhere but up. Meaning you get desperate and your only option is Surrender. to go to God. You don't have anything left to use. Yeah. They were listening. They're paying attention of who else is out there looking and listening. Ministry is always going on. Their hope is not in their circumstance. They're not bound up by trouble. Thinking above and beyond. But it is something to think about as we go through this here and now in your own life of we may never have to be a prisoner, but there may be discomforts, there may be things going on, but lot of circumstances but how do we get to this place and this is where I believe that missions out there is really more contingent on the journey within what's going on in here in this relationship with God first and foremost that what we do out there is really more of a byproduct of what's going on in here can someone read this now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. This is Thomas who spent, what, three years just hanging out with them? Yeah. How is it any different than some of us that are like, have some doubts along the way? What I want you to do right now is I'm going to show you a, a, a portrait, a painting of this very scene. And, and obviously the verses go on, but not just yet. But I want you to stare at this and just contemplate on what's really going on. What I'm just asking you to do is really just kind of think about a, a painting, a portrait. Twelve years ago, I had the opportunity to be with a bunch of guys that we go on a spiritual retreat. And... I thought it was going to be kind of hokey and the things that we're going to do. And 
But once I got there, like, oh, wow. There's a lot more to learn and to grow and to, and to figure out what does it mean to be with God. And one of the exercises that we would do is that we would look at different artwork and we would just look at it and look at it and look at it. In a sense, allowing us to be quiet for the Holy Spirit to speak and to hear his whisper. And part of this is to realize that that guy's no different than me and vice versa. But I want to ask you, though, when you look at this picture, what's Jesus actually allowing to happen right there? Sorry? It looks like he's dying all over again. Mm. You see some of the emotions. What else is he doing, allowing? Any other thoughts? Sorry? Mm -hmm. Say that again. I'm sorry. I missed it. Oh, loving. Yeah. Resolving. Okay. Not quite. You didn't, you didn't get this like your brothers did. Here it is. To draw someone in that close, up close and personal, <laughs> isn't that a form of intimacy? Where, what, are, what are those other two doing? By this? Now, what I'm going to ask you to do in your tables is I really want you to think about, because the, narrative, the, the next portion of Scripture, when he does that, he says, my Lord, my God, exclamation point, ding, pretty powerful. So around your tables, I want you to discuss, if you were to paint a picture 
What would that picture kind of look like? The very next moment from the other portrait. What's the next second after that? So discuss. Who's the artist that painted that? Sorry? Who's the artist that painted that? Um, Michelangelo Cavigio, CO something. Yeah, 1602. Yeah. Think about the body positions. Think about the emotions. All right. I'm curious to hear. Oh. <laughs> so if you were if you were a painter, you got commissioned, and you took this these words, these black and white words on this page of, of Scripture, knowing what the previous scene looked like, and all of a sudden, my Lord, my God, exclamation point. What would you paint? So tell me what you described. Those three guys on their knees. On their knees. Just drop. Yeah. What else? Any other? No wrong answer. Personal. Yeah. Other other ideas, other thoughts, images? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just noticing how much, how many lines you see on their heads. That's a lot of lines. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Other ideas? Yeah. We were talking, so Caravaggio is clearly a painter that played a lot with light and dark. Mm -hmm. Right. Very cool. They get it. The joy of their joy. Yeah. Any other thoughts? These are great. The reason I show this, because I go back to that, the journey and the questions. But I think there's a really big difference when, of what this is going on and they represent that 
Is this just an intellectual acknowledgement of truth? It is way more than that. There is way more going on than just I got the facts straight. I know the truth right before me. And I think there's a big difference in this journey that also begins within us as we are growing and developing and maturing is what does it mean to believe that, to go towards to believe in? And they use these words. Maybe you've heard of um, other kind of illustrations of like head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Um, it's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know God. So to believe something that is true is one thing, but to believe in the truth is a totally different thing. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them of Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced of what he said, but others disbelieved. The reason I just say that is this word convinced is a word that has been in my mind a lot about, that represents way more than just an intellectual acknowledgement. To be absolutely convinced, to have it really settled. And when that really does happen, then what happens to all of the questions and doubts and fears and wonder? They really do go away. And then all of a sudden, it just creates this way more bandwidth to really experience what God has got in store for you and to really experience more and more of the love and the joy and the peace in that relationship without all the other noise. So to me, convinced, again, he could have used in some believed and others disbelieved. And again, I don't want to get into the technical of the language, but in my mind, just sometimes I think of that in the context there's a lot more going on than just belief. Absolutely convinced. And when you look at these apostles that were once these disciples in the Gospels, were they a little squirrely at times? You know? And not always knowing what's going on and sometimes not always being able to count on them. And sometimes they weren't always there. But then after this resurrection and really seeing who God is and then the filling of the Holy Spirit, did these guys flinch? <laughs> All through Acts and beyond. They didn't run away, they ran into. And if something happened, they went right back to the same city. So, yeah, some fear and some concerns, but it wasn't going to stop them. A lot more going on. And so I only say this to challenge all of us in that as we think about missions and what's going on, how contingent it is, is where are we at in our own relationship like a Thomas? Are there certain questions and doubts and disbeliefs that we all maybe have about this thing or that thing? And through prayer and through study and and just hanging out with God more and more, can some of that 
sidewalk cement start hardening <laughs> and be settled. More and more and more as life goes on on, on the journey. Can somebody read Acts 20? Just out of their own Bibles? Any volunteer? Okay. She's got the mic. <laughs> when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Very good. Can someone read the very ending of the book of Acts, Acts 28. Yeah, go ahead. In my, in, you got 31? 31? Unhindered. Boldness, unhindered. Again, it just shows an example of the journey that, that God took Paul on. That in spite of all knowing what was going to happen, it, he didn't flinch. He didn't stay back. He didn't resist. He went forward because he had the Holy Spirit equipping and enabling, empowering, encouraging for him to keep doing this. And again, it's just a great inspiration for you and I to think about our own lives here and now where God has got you where he may not be calling you halfway around the world, but he may be calling you across the backyard fence or the person at work or someone in your own family. But he's really calling you to really just go on the journey, to have the next conversation of whatever it may be without the anxiety of, oh no, what if I get something wrong and mess something up? Just go on the journey <laughs> and have a conversation and give them safety that they can ask anything and you're okay. 
That's the greatest gift you can give someone is the presence of yourself. That they're not alone, that you're at least going with them. So I'm hoping that from this, there's just a different way of maybe looking at some themes in the book of Acts that are not quite the obvious of all the deeds and the acts of the apostles, but to think in a little bit different layers of other things that are going on at the very same time and how that maybe can help us and encourage us of what does it mean for this internal journey that really affects what we will do in this outer journey with other people. We're going to end in a few minutes uh, ahead of time. Uh, anybody got any comments about anything that's been brought up before I close in prayer? Maybe not. Yeah. How do we live, live out our theology and to rest in what we know is true, but to experience what we know is true so that we know and experience are one and the same in that moment? That's the real goal. Yeah. Any other comments? All right. Well, I thank you. I thank you for your attentiveness and participation and, and hope. Some things resonate as you think about it even on the way home. So let me close in a word of prayer. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we've had this opportunity uh, just to look at the life of Paul and just the incredible things that you have done in him and through him to be a model and example for us. And for us not to feel so burdened or guilty that somehow we're not there, but we're all, we're a, we are on our own individual journey that you have us on. So help me and help everyone here and wherever they're at and wherever you place them with people around them, that they would be aware of you, Holy Spirit, and what you are doing. And we're just to participate and go on the journey. So again, thank you so much for what you've accomplished, for your honor and for your glory. Amen. Thanks, folks. Appreciate it.